to you out of the book of Luke, the 23rd chapter, and the 31st, 34th verse. And we're going to do part A on that verse. And it reads, and Jesus prayed. And Jesus prayed. And Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You may be seated. Got a question for you. If Jesus had to pray, what about me? Jesus had to pray. What about me? He See if you please, if Jesus, Mary's baby Jesus, bright and morning star Jesus, lily of the valley Jesus, soul saving Jesus, had to pray. What about, what about me? I wonder if we understand that he could have called legions of angels. He could have called his father and said, Father, kill them all. He could have called his father and said, destroy everything. But I think what we miss is he didn't have to tell his father. God was watching. Every tear 
of his skin. Every punch they threw at him. Every time they spat upon him. All the lies that they told. Everything that they did to our Savior, God was watching. You know, some people ask, where was God? God was right there watching as his son was being tortured. I said once before to somebody, I, if it had been my son, I think you would have just had to die. I, 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 could, I couldn't have given my son, I couldn't give my son for me. And I love me some me. I couldn't give my son for you. But God gave his only begotten son. And you know how when people do something to you and you get upset and you get mad and, and you hold on to it for 20, 30, 40 years? And then you forget what you was upset about you know how you we do that we get we something happens to us whatever it is and I'm not trying to belittle what may have happened to you but Jesus forgave everything father forgive them for they know not what they do. Can you imagine somebody whipping your child, beating your child, nailing your child to a cross, putting the thorns on his head, piercing him in the side? Can you imagine if you had the power what you would do to somebody? that did that to your child. Think about it. The world, it got dark. The sun refused to shine. The temple started cracking. The curtain was ripped from top to bottom. All these, I believe, before he said this prayer, God was about to work, open up a can of, on some folks. If he did not say what he said, you and I would not have a right to the tree of life. Because without forgiveness, we have nothing. All of this would have been for naught. But Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Every sin that we commit... I can hear him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what. The, every time we get angry at somebody and we retaliate, Father, every grudge we hold, Father, every time we make a mistake, Father, Jesus paid for that. That's why it's really important that we take the time to recognize exactly what we're doing and why we're doing it. 
You don't treat everybody just anyway. Jesus had to pay for that. You don't act just any way you want to act. Jesus had to pay for that. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Every sense, Seth started praying. When they started in Genesis, there's been a prayer in every Bible, every book of the Bible. But there's never been a prayer that had forgiven sin. When man first started talking to God, man never asked for forgiveness. But when man first started talking to God, man would ask for things. But man thought he could fix himself, so he never asked for forgiveness. So Jesus, which filled in the gap for you and I, had to ask his father, Father, forgive them, because they keep talking about one another. Father, forgive them, because they keep lying on one another. Father, forgive them, they lied on their taxes. Is, Father, forgive them, and I know this is one of my big ones. They keep speeding. Father, forgive them. They keep telling you what they're going to do, and they don't do it. They promise you, Lord, if you get me out of this one, I'll, I'll serve you. I'll do whatever it is you want me to do, and then when you get me out, I go back to doing the same old thing. Forgive them, Lord, for they really know not what they do. Jesus is trying to get us on the number one. It says Jesus prayed. He talked to his father. Had he not talked to his father, you and I wouldn't be here in this place today. Are you talking to God? Do you ask God every day to forgive you for your sins? Do you talk to God and you tell him, do you even tell him thank you? When you wake up in the morning, do you take the time to say, thank you, Lord. Forgive me for my sins. You know, sometimes we just think, well, it's a given because I'm a a Christian. God going to forgive me. The only time that I see in record that we've been given something that we didn't ask for was Christ. I believe that you, if you sin, you need to repent and ask God to forgive you of your sins. If you don't, then I guess you just figure, well, I can just keep on sinning anyway. That's not how any of this works. That's not how it works. Father, forgive them, took everything that we've done or everything that we will do, but it doesn't take the responsibility of us asking for forgiveness away from us. What it does is covers us in case we are stupid enough not to ask God to forgive us. It really does. Father, for everything that they've done to me, forgive them. For really they know not what they do. God bless you.
As Mary looked upon her son who was hanging there on the cross with a thorn, a crown of thorns on his head, with spikes in his hands, with spikes in his feet, I can't imagine, but Mary had to bear that. Mary had to look at her son, Jesus, in the most agonizing, the most humiliating, the most painful death that there was our Lord and Savior, Jesus, hanging on the cross, and Mary there beholding her son. Perhaps the reference was that the reference was to Mary, look at me. Behold your son. I am the one who is doing something that will never be, has been done before, that has never and will never be done again. I am doing something here, Mary. I am the one who is not only saving the sins of the world, but Mary, I am looking after you. I am thinking about your welfare after I am gone. Your husband is gone. Joseph, he's gone. And now here I am, your son, your oldest son. I am about to die. But Mary, I am looking after your welfare. Because Mary, I am considering you. Because Mary, I want you to know that how much I love you. I called you woman, not out of respect, not, not at all. I did not dishonor you, Mary, but I call you woman because that is a word of respect. That means respect. That means I honor you, mom. And not only that, mom, but I am looking after you because I believe if I would call you mother, that all those insults, all those bad words, all those everything, it would have been cast upon you because I am your beloved son. Mary, I am looking after you. And then a reference, oh, I had to give this reference to my beloved disciple, John. John, take care of my mom. Mother, behold your son. Jesus, in his, in his love, in, in showing his humanity for his mom, for his concern, for, his, for, for, for her welfare, for everything. Jesus says to his disciple, behold your mother. John here takes Mary into his own house at that certain time. And not only that, he is symbol, Jesus is saying to her, take care of my mom because in this circle of life, see, we live in a circle of life. You know that, don't you? See, right now, we okay. We can take care of ourselves. But see, we begin this thing as a babe, our parents are taking care of us. As we grow older, we begin to take care of ourselves. But then as we get old enough, sooner or later, somebody's going to have to take care of you. And believe it or not, what goes around can come around. Because see, if you ain't that kind of parent that's been good to your children, 
See, what goes around comes around sometimes. Because, see, now we have so many babies making babies. Moms have, having to raise their own children. Daddy's nowhere to be fine, found. They laying and slaying and having many, 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 many kids. Can't take care of none of them. But our moms are here struggling with those kids, doing the best that they can. And here we are at this point. Jesus cast his beloved mom off to his, to his beloved disciple. The question is this. Why did not Jesus give his mom to his other brothers and sisters? He did have some sisters. But why didn't he give, them to, give, give his mom to, them, to her, to them? The reason is this. Because, see, in John 7 and 5, it says that his brethren did not believe on him. And, in fact, in Acts 1 and 14, it says that they did not believe until after the resurrection. So ain't you so glad that Jesus does not give us off, just pass us off into someone who doesn't love us, someone who doesn't care for us, someone who does not believe in what we believe in? Jesus shows the love for you and I in that respect. Ain't ain't you so glad that when Jesus gives us one comfort, he takes that away, and then he gives us another one? Jesus will give us a crutch to lean on, and then he will take away that crutch and give us another crutch. He does that right on time because he loves us. And not only that, but ain't you so glad that when we're in the darkest times of our lives, when we're going through everything that life has to throw on us. Ain't you so glad that God the Father has given us into the hands of Jesus, his son? Because there is love in the hands of Jesus. There is care in the hands of Jesus. You are safe in the hands of Jesus. And I like this, that no one can pluck us out of the hands of Jesus. No one. I'm here to tell you, don't let the darkness in your life just destroy you. Don't let love when there's, huh, it ain't, ain't it kind of odd in today's world that there's love is so hard to be found? I'm saying true love, love that will never walk out on you. I'm saying true, sure enough love. It's hard to find in this love. But never let love destroy you. Never let that loss of love tear you down. Never let that loss of love make you give up on life. Because Jesus loves us so much that every day that he wakes us up, he loves us. We got an opportunity to get closer to him, and he is true love. He is that eternal love. He is that agape love, that love that never fails. Flashback, flashback, flashback. See, I'm an OG, so I can say back in the day. See, OGs say that, Terry, back in the day. See, back in the day, right down there on, on Red Bank Road, flashback, there, there, there was this place that called Swallows. And remember that what they're saying was, everything you find, everything you need, you can find it in Swallows. I'm here to tell you now, that's what Swallows do. They went out of business. But Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. We serve a true and living God. He loves us today. Dude, what time is it? What time is it? You want to know how much he loves us? Look at your, what time is it? You know, you know how much he loves us? Because it's 712 and you're still here. That's how much Jesus loves us. Flashback, flashback. 
but that's even in 2016. What does Allstate say? You're in good hands with Allstate. I know I'm here to tell you, don't, don't pay your bill and see what Allstate will do to you. They'll drop you and kick you out. But Jesus loves us so much that he gives us chances after chances after chances. Come on up, come on up. 2016. I hear something, I hear something. Let me let me tell you about this. Siri. Siri. What does he say, Siri? Oh, he's the hostess with the mostest. Oh, I'm here to tell you, he will keep you in the times of trouble. He will keep you in the times of storm. There's a storm coming. There's a storm coming in somebody's life. But I'm here to tell you, he is the hostess with the mostest. He will love you. He will caress you. And the thing I like about the hostess with the mostest, that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will go through the storm with you. He will go through the rain with you. And he will bring you out. Not only that, but in John 19, four times, four times there was this word called behold. Behold the man. He is the man, a man. He's a man's man. I ain't got much, but he's a man's man. I'm here to tell you, he was born in Bethlehem. He, 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 he took on the form of man. He clothed himself in human flesh. He was full of grace and truth. And now look at him, hanging there on the cross, dying for our sins. He was a man's man. Behold your king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning of it. He is and he will be your all in all. He is the king, the reigning king. Right now he's the king. They call LeBron the king, but LeBron ain't nothing. Because without Jesus, LeBron would be nothing. Jesus is the king of kings. Behold your son. He is the beloved son of God, full of grace and truth. He is that one, and he always will be that one, the ever-loving son who loves you, who loves me, who loves us all. Behold your mother. Jesus will be a mother for the motherless, a father for the fatherless. He will be your comfort keeper. He will rock you to sleep. He will hold you when you cry, and, and guess what Jesus will do? See, it, it was still daylight. It was, yes, it was. It, it was still daylight when this was going on. But see, we, we always say that joy will cometh in the morning, but in Mary's time, it, it, it was daylight, and there was no joy. Have you ever been in that place where you go to sleep, you're in darkness? You wake up, your life is still in darkness. You go through noonday, things are still messed up. You're still in darkness. You go back to bed, life is still in a, in a wreck. You're all out of your mind. You're still in darkness. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus, Jesus will turn your darkness into true day. Jesus will bring you light in your darkest times. Jesus is the one who will Calm the storm. All he has to say is, Pete, be still. And one day, since God loves us so much, 
the best one, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. It's all about the love of Jesus. One day we shall behold him and we shall see him face to face. And the thing I like about we will be glorified just like him. Behold him in love, my Savior, my God, my King. Your Savior, your God, your King, love him, behold him, and never give up on Jesus. Yeah. Thank you. I can always depend <laughs> on you. Um, one of my favorite shows to watch, it comes on uh, USA, it's called Suits, and it, it follows this guy named Mike who ends up working for this um, really prestigious law firm. And he goes in there and he has a mind like no other. Um, any case that he argues, he wins. Um, he never had lost at all. He brought tons of billables to the firm. Everybody liked them, and he was the youngest one to ever make partner. Now, the thing about this firm, Pearson Specter, was they were known because they only hired people from Harvard Law. Um, it was actually in their bylaws. It was a part of the rules. All the partners knew that, and everybody in that community knew that as well. So not the caveat is not only did Mike not go to Harvard Law, but he didn't even go to law school. <laughs> Um, he just was that smart and, you know, that conniving, and he got in there. And, you know, spoiler alert, if you, too, watch this, is, you know, in the last season, when people found out about this, they were so upset. And so there was this scene in the courtroom where he goes and he's trying to plead his case, and he's not denying that he did not go to law school, but what he is saying is, I'm very much a lawyer, you know, and he's, he's putting up all of these people, he's putting up, you know, mothers that had their sons, you know, killed that he defended and you know all of these great success stories that he had and all of these cases that he won but nobody seems to care because he did not go through the process and you know they were just upset oh uh, another show you know that I watched it's probably you you might know you know scandal you know we just love those moments when you know we get to see Melly the first lady the wife of President Fitzgerald Grant you know put Olivia in check you know when she gets to tell her you know I'm the wife you're you're just a sad chick <laughs> you know you you get him for the fun and you keep him smiling but I'm the one that has to keep up with all the state dinners that has to make sure that his ties are together that has to you know get the White House together that has to do I get to do all of the work I went through the process and then when Fitz decides that you know what I'm just gonna do some bold move well in the White House y'all he decides he's gonna divorce his wife he's gonna run off into the sunset with the mistress you know move her into the White House that lasted for what a week before Olivia goes oh this is what it is <laughs> you know and oh this this is not a job for me and she moves out and you know and, and she's got 
got this such a disdain because people are looking at her like, you know, you you taking somebody else's man, you know, that they have prepped and gotten ready and made him who he is. And you just bypassed all the work and you just come in for the play. And so people got upset. And that's like the, the connotation that she got. Or, you know, if you if you didn't live under a rock and you don't watch Scandal either, you know, even in real life, um, Michael Phelps, you know, who went on and did all of this great stuff for America, you know, and what went to win the Olympics for the United States of America and swimming and was literally a poster child for us. He was on the color of, cover of Life Serial, y'all. Um, but then when we found out, you know, that he had a steroid problem or that he had cut a few corners and things like that, suddenly you go from American hero to American zero. <laughs> and, you know, nobody wants anything to do with him. We see in real life and in fiction that we have a problem with people who cross the finish line, but they don't run the race. We have a problem with people who get to cross the finish line, but they don't run the race. We don't care about how good you are. We don't care about the things that happen after that. If you didn't go through the process, then we tend to get upset. Working with these kids every day, the biggest complaint I always get is, you know, he got to this, or you gave him that. Well, where's mine? And that's not fair. And I just want to say, life ain't fair, baby. You better get used to that real quick, (laughs) you know, because that's just the point. But people get upset when they think, like, I deserve something, and you pass me up for them so imagine the disdain when the people are now watching when I say the people I mean the people who knew the law they knew the law because they had spent their time and days reading the law and not only did they know and read the law but they kept the law these are people who probably built the temple maintained the temple swept the temple floors kept order in the temple did all that and here they are standing at this man who says that he is the very son of God and God in in his last few breaths he passes up all of them and he passes off the kingdom of heaven to a thief. He looks at a thief and he says, today you shall join me in paradise. Imagine, can I say pissed? Imagine how pissed they were when they're like, I'll be daggone. Now, if there was any confusion about whether or not he was the son of God before, let this solidify that he cannot be the son of God because God would not do this. Because the picture before the cross was of this God who would, who would order that the firstborn of his enemies be killed. The, the, the picture of the God that we know, uh, he would take Sodom and Gomorrah and destroy entire cities. Not, I mean, we're talking about destroying entire cities. What about the God that we knew that would send an entire flood to wipe out the entire human race down to just one family because he got upset because he set the commandments, he set the rules, and if we didn't abide by the rules, then he would kill you. So if that's the God that we know, surely the son of this God who claims to be God God in him through the Trinity would not pass off the kingdom of heaven to a thief. Even after the cross, we're confused because we have scriptures that even after the cross, it says, be ye perfect as he is perfect. Be ye holy as he is holy. There are scriptures that say that no idolater, no adulterer, no liar, no fornicator, no thief, no homosexual, no this, no that are going to inherit the kingdom of God. So how is it that on this day, in this moment, Jesus passes off the cross to someone who is a sinner and had been a sinner all their life. We're confused. 
Our religion, y'all, is confused. <laughs> you know, at least in other religions, they lay the rules and they don't go back on the rules. <laughs> you know, you ever, you dig, they just came out with a new rule on Mormonism. You know, different thing. I like that people can keep coming up with new rules. I'm like, who comes up with this stuff? Who votes it? You know, and it's like, you can get into this tier of heaven if you do this, but if you had did that, then you in this like purgatory sort of thing over here. And then if you did this and you over there, you got rules are in Islam, you know, you have to pray, you know, what, five Five times a day, and you have to, at some point, you have to be able to make it to, you know, what is it, Mecca, or you have to make that trip. You've got to do it at least one time. There are very clear rules. There, every single religion is a system of things that you have to do, and it's like climbing rungs on the ladder if you're going to make it. But here we have Jesus who says that in this instance, not only are you not going to climb the ladder, but I'm going to come down... You can't make it to heaven, so I'm going to bring heaven down to you and meet you where you are. And I'm going to make it so simple that all you have to do is choose me. But what, but what then after, you know, we, all those scriptures after the cross? Do we, I continue to sin that grace may abound? Is that what I continue to do? Are you telling me in this sermon, or, or was the no of what you wanted me to understand in the sermon you preached last week that, you know, we can throw the rule book out, that we no longer have to be worried about sin, that we can live our lives any way we want to live our lives because Jesus is just going gonna, gonna to be a free-for-all. If he let this thief in, then certainly he can let us in right? What we have to understand is Jesus from the very beginning has been about relationship. God from the very beginning has been about relationship. And what we have to, can't look at any one isolated part of the Bible and take it as the whole thing, but you have to step back if you're going to understand the point. Yes, there was a consequence of death because of our sin. And yes, because God was a just God, he had to execute on that consequence and he had to do it so we would know that he was serious about what he was saying and that our lives literally were on the line. If he just talked about it, then none of us would really believe that there was any consequence. So yeah, firstborns had to die and cities had to be wiped out. Entire nations had to be gone. The entire world had to start over because sin was that much of a big deal. But we also serve a smart God, y'all. We serve a smart God, and the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. If after wiping out cities, nations, and the entire world didn't get them together, then something had to change if we were ever going to get into this relationship with him. And so what Jesus says is, let me go down there and be the change because clearly these people are not going to get it together. And so Never be confused. If you have a seat in heaven, it is not because of what you've done, but it's because of what has been done for you. It is not because of who you are, but it's because of who he is. Because he was perfect and lived a life that I could not live and died a death that I deserve. He stood in the gap, even though I would still fall short. I could walk across the cross to get to the point that I need to be. 
But still, after the cross, we still hang on to all of those scriptures. And when we feel like, well, you know, I have to be better than you and I have to put myself up and we have to set up the standards in the church and we have to remind people of where they fall short and we have to remind people to that scripture. You're an idolater, you're not going to make it. You're an adulterer, you're not going to make it. You had that baby out of wedlock, you're not going to make it. You're a gay, you're not going to make it. You stole that, you're not going to make it. You're a thief, you're not going to make it. You're a liar, you're not going to make it. But then the next verse says, and such were some of you. Oh, oh, we don't like that next verse. We don't like that next verse that says, and such were some of you. And I tell you what, when I preach it, I like to say, and such were all of you. And such were all of you because you got to remember, you didn't always have it together. And if truth be told, We always like to stand up in the church and talk about what we used to be and where we used to be, but sometimes I still got a nasty attitude, and sometimes temptations still come knocking around my door, even now, even while I'm preaching, I bet you Satan going to try to send something my way tonight to try to distract me. We always try to act like we so far removed from sin, but I, I don't know about you, maybe it's just me, I still struggle every little now and then. But what Jesus says to me is the same thing he said to a thief. Even while you were yet in your sin is when I died for you. It's not about how well you cleaned yourself up. It's not about how well you dress now. It's not about how good you became. It was when you were at your very worst and you thought the thing that nobody knows you thought. And you did the thing that's your darkest secret. It's when I looked at David and it said, I will die for him. I will die for him. I love him just the way he is. And I will call him away from sin, not because there are rules to be checked, but because there is a better life on the other side. So, yeah, there's some things I don't do anymore, and there's some places I don't go, and there's some things I won't say. But don't get it twisted. It's not because I'm trying to impress you and I could really care less if you catch me falling and if the the line I like people to tell me you call yourself a preacher, I sure do and I still preach and I'm preaching right now and I sinned earlier and I might sin again but I know a Jesus who loves me just the way I am and if he tells me that I can go into the kingdom of heaven, then I just don't care what you got to say about me, baby. I could care less about how you judge me. I could care less about when you saw me fall because it was when I fell that he said he loves me. It was when I was down there that he died for me. It was when I was all the way a dirt to you that he said he was worth saving to me. So the only thing I want you to know is I don't care where you've been. I don't know how we say that too much in church. I don't care where you are. Jesus is looking at you right now. He know what you did last night. He looking at you right now. He know what your plans are after this. He looking at you right now. He know what you were struggling with. He looking at you right now. And he says, if you accept my invitation today, you will be with me in paradise. 